I remember once I was getting on a plane and the website had gone down hard and I was on a danger hip top. This is Andy Rubin's first company before Android. And it was this little thing where the screen flipped open and had a little keyboard and I was SSH'd into the server and I'm bringing the site back up. The steward is standing over me, like, sir, you have to put your devices away. And I'm like, just one second, please. And I'm like, PS, aux, pipe, grep, MySQL, pipe, exargs, kill, dash nine, whatever, restart, you know. And I think I did not manage to bring the site back up. So the site was down while I was, you know, crossing the country. Oops. Oops is probably a bit of an understatement here. Oops is something you say when you maybe drop your pen or accidentally bump into someone on the sidewalk. But in this case, that oops was about not being able to restart a website's server before getting on a five-hour cross-country flight in the early 2000s, back when, you know, there was no internet on planes. And it was a big problem because the crashed website was delicious, the social bookmarking phenomenon that helped usher in the age of Web 2.0. The person who couldn't get it fixed before takeoff? Well, that was delicious creator and founder Joshua Schachter. Are you ready to hear his story? Great. Let's get dialed in. It's time for another episode of Webmasters. My name is Aaron Dinan. I'm a serial entrepreneur and teach innovation and entrepreneurship at Duke University. I also research and study the history of the internet. This is a podcast where the people who created some of the most impactful internet businesses, technologies, and innovations get to share their stories. Today's guest is Joshua Schachter. In addition to being the founder of Delicious, he also had a few other really interesting contributions to the web that I'm excited to share with you. But before we can talk about those things, I want to tell you about something else I think you'll also be interested in. I wouldn't be able to share all the amazing stories about internet businesses here on Webmasters if it wasn't for this podcast sponsor, Latona's. Latona's is a boutique mergers and acquisitions broker that facilitates the buying and selling of cash flow positive internet businesses. That means things like Amazon FBAs, Shopify stores, content websites, and SaaS apps. Basically, any kind of business you can operate online and work from anywhere. So if you've ever wanted to run your own online company, but don't know how to get started, check out latonas.com where you can actually buy an already profitable internet business. Or maybe you've already got a profitable internet business you're currently running, but eh, you're, you're kind of ready to move on to something else. In that case, Latonas is going to be able to help you find the perfect buyer. Either way, whether you're looking to buy or sell an online business, be sure to check out my amazing partner in this project, latonas.com. That's L-A-T-O-N-A-S.com. So I already told you that this episode's guest, Joshua Schachter, did more than just create the website Delicious. And keep in mind, you, you can't see me, but I'm putting giant air quotes around the word just when I say just created delicious, because that's obviously a pretty big thing. But that's also part of what's so interesting about Joshua's contributions to the growth and culture of the web. It actually started a good bit before the launch of Delicious. In fact, Joshua was among the first people in the world hosting a personal website. 
the web started happening while I was at college. I remember going to the lab and they had these Dexstation 3100s with this glorious, giant, one-bit monochrome display. And someone was running this thing with, it had pictures and text and was scrolling and it was Mosaic. And I remember asking, what is that? They told me Mosaic being a very early web browser. And I thought that was cool. And I had actually managed to scrounge up enough money at the time to buy a older generation Spark Station. I think it was a Spark Station One Plus, which was slow even in like 1994. I was an administrator on it, unlike the school computers. And I set up NCSA HTTPD. FYI. NCSA stands for National Center for Supercomputing Applications, and NCSA HTTPD was an early type of web server from 1993 that was actually the dominant web server on the internet until Apache rapidly surpassed it in around 1996. You know, I had to figure out how to first compile the compiler or get the compiler working, then build the tool chain, and then build the server. I actually got an NCSA HTTPD running and started put up a early website. And it was so early that merely starting up the web server was enough to get listed in the NCSA What's New weekly web page when they listed all of the web servers on the internet in a little blog format, and it was probably a dozen a day tops. That's where I started learning about the web and figuring out how to build very simple web apps I think the first thing I ever built was the internet shit list, where you could put things on the shit list. The idea being there is a single official shit list that people could add things to. And I made a very poor architectural choice, and not long after putting it up, it wiped itself out. So that was the end of the shit list. I mean, I, I think now we just call the internet the shit list, right? Well, now I just tweet everything I'm unhappy with, which is everything. So, as you heard, Joshua was literally launching a personal website back when there was still a directory listing all the new websites getting launched that week. How quaint is that? These days, uh, it's hard to get exact stats on the number of new websites being launched each week, but there are currently an estimated 2 billion websites in the world, give or take a half billion. So being early enough to get himself listed in a comprehensive directory of newly launched websites seems to make Joshua an early adopter. At least uh, it does in my book. Now that early experience on the web is also what got him a job being, well, an early webmaster. My first job, I actually interviewed at a bank and got a job as webmaster. Graduated but didn't leave Pittsburgh and was running the website for a bank. This is sort of back when it was all informational. There wasn't online banking yet. And this would have been 1996. And then I ended up getting recruited onto Wall Street and leaving the web behind and moving to New York City. Now, here's the cool part. While Joshua is working at the bank in New York, he starts a little side project called Meme Pool. Meme Pool goes on to become one of the most popular web blogs of the early internet. And yes, I'm intentionally calling it a weblog instead of a blog because MemePool was launched in 1998 and the word blog didn't even exist until 1999. I started that up and it was pretty heavy traffic. It got like a million hits a month. That was a long time ago. That was a ton of traffic. I remember getting booted off hosts because a million hits was too much traffic for them. And I remember that someone decided to get all the bloggers in New York City, except they weren't called that yet. And it was Weblog, coined by uh, Peter Merholz. 
And I remember he was at a dinner that like all of the bloggers in New York City went to. It was only like two tables worth of people. So again, when I say Joshua was contributing to early web culture, I mean super early web culture. And Meme Pool had a significant following for its unique brand of eclectic and weird content. Meme Pool was this sort of very terse, multi-author blog. There was no identity, but there was probably 20 or 30 sort of regulars posting stuff on it. And it was just a couple of sentences about some weird thing over and over again. Some absurd thing on the internet, the world's largest doorknob collection. Meme Pool was also the foundation for what would eventually become delicious. In other words, as happens often in the world of innovation, the really big paradigm-shifting technologies don't just spring up from nothing. Instead, they're evolutions that usually develop out of some precursor with vague hints of what the new technology might ultimately become. People would send in links to Meme Pool saying, hey, you should write up this crazy thing I found. And I'd get three or four a day, and I didn't know what to do with them, so I actually had a text file in my home directory that I would add them to. This file called Links that was eventually 20, 30,000 lines long. I wrote a web-based tool so that if someone sent me a link, I could click a bookmarklet, which is a little bit of JavaScript in a bookmark, and it would go to a new page and submit the title and URL of the page I was on and bookmark it, right? So I'd be at work, I'd read my email like, huh, that's interesting, okay, I'll look at it later. Snap it into the software that I wrote. It would grab the URL of the page and save it off. I made it so that there was nothing private in the bookmarks. I could send the summary of the links to somebody else. And then it turned out that the bookmarking thing had as much traffic as the blog. It was just me using it, it wasn't multiplayer at the time. So 10, 20,000 users a day were logging in and reading the various weird crap I found on the internet. Did you hear what Joshua revealed? He just explained how he invented social bookmarking. Bookmarking, of course, existed early on in web history. It was how people saved the websites they thought were interesting and might want to come back to. Social bookmarking meant saving your bookmarks in a public space so other people could see what websites you were interested in and might want to come back to. And Joshua was the first person to do it. Social bookmarking was, of course, the phenomenon that would go on to become the foundation for Delicious. And we're going to learn more about that in a minute or so. But before we do, I want to share something even cooler happening at the time, though it wasn't as obvious in the moment. While social bookmarking is no longer as culturally relevant as it was during the peak of Delicious's popularity, Joshua was actually inventing something else that remains important to this very day, and there's a good chance you probably use it a lot. The original version, the links text file, there was a little room to write notes. My format was the URL, and then I'd type notes. And the notes were often very short, so I would write hash Wi-Fi. And that was the first tag. So I remember someone said, hey, have you heard about this Wi-Fi thing? And I said, yeah, I've been tracking it for a few months. And then I would grep hash Wi-Fi links and it would give just 10 or so links and I'd often send, here's everything I know about this topic. When I made the software version of the links text file, I made it so that I could link to everything with one tag. Like here are all the Wi-Fi links 
And I actually called this thing Muxway. I don't remember exactly why. And that right there was the invention of tags online. How cool would it be the person who invented tagging? Curiously enough, I actually, many years later, interviewed for search at Instagram, but they didn't find my experience very relevant, which I thought was completely hilarious. So that didn't go anywhere. How about that? The person who literally invented searching by tags didn't have enough relevant experience for tag-based searching at Instagram. Talk about some high standards. Regardless, as cool as it is to be able to say, I invented tagging, there's really no business in that. The business was in Joshua's Muxway tool and social bookmarking, so that's what he started focusing on. When Meemple started to wane in popularity, I'm like, I feel like I should revitalize it somehow. Peter, who started Delicious with me, said, well, why not do something between Muxway and MySpace? Or maybe it was Friendster. I don't remember. A social version. And I thought that was a good idea, and I started building that. And that's how he started building Delicious. Now, obviously, I keep calling it Delicious because, well, that was the name of the site. Unfortunately, saying the name of the site aloud in a podcast glosses over yet another important contribution Joshua made to internet culture. You see, the site wasn't originally delicious.com, it was just delicious. And delicious was actually a full domain name spelled del.icio.us. So the actual TLD, top level domain, is .us, which is the United States country code. And then the domain is ICIO.us. And then DEL is actually a subdomain. Altogether, that spells delicious. It's what's called a domain hack. And Joshua appears to be the person who invented the concept, or at the very least, he's the person who popularized it. So I had also always had a habit of getting weird domain names. In like 1996, Tonga, the first country TLD, did open registrations. So I thought about .to, what's the funniest word that ends in T-O? And it occurred to me that burrito is the funniest thing. So I registered B-U-R-R-I .to. And I remember getting hate mail, like people like, you're using up space on the internet for stupid things. And then my friends were like, oh, you should sell that to Taco Bell for $10,000 or whatever. A few years later, .us became available. And I thought, what's the funniest thing I could do with .us? So I actually wrote a quick little program, a shell script, to look at the dictionary, you know, not just look for words that end in US, for every word that ends in US, chop off the last six letters. And I calculated that ICIO.US I-C-I-O had the most words that can be created. So I registered ICIO.US and ashes, A-C-I-O.U-S. And I think someone else got I-T-I-O.U-S. So I could actually make all kinds of things like vicious and suspicious and so on and so forth. Later on, when Delicious was a company, we actually set up a development site, which was running the beta software, and it was actually at Suspicious. Okay, so you have launched this site called Delicious, and then what? How'd you get people to actually start using it? this Muxway thing, it had a fair amount of traffic, you know, 10, 20,000 users a day. So I was still using it. I hadn't actually switched to Delicious yet. And then I wrote a note at the bottom, get your own Muxway here, and you go to Delicious and get one. 
So I got an acquisition offer from Yahoo. And then I started talking to some VCs. And when I started talking to them, I already had 20,000 users. Delicious made it to 40,000 users in 30 days. It doubled in size. And then I took venture funding at that point. So I raised $1 million from Union Square Ventures. And can you give us a bit of historical context here? Delicious obviously didn't invent bookmarking. So who else was playing in the space? You know, I think Yahoo had toolbar bookmarks and I forget the name of Ari Paparo's site, but none of them were social. They didn't have significant social components. In fact, Delicious didn't have a private bookmark until after the acquisition, 2006, probably. It was all social. That was kind of the key feature, though, right? Because, see, this would have been 2003, so it's before social networking really becomes mainstream, and it's it's almost like the precursor or maybe a stepping stone into the Web 2.0 social media revolution. I do think there was um, Friendster, but there was no wall. There was no timeline of stuff happening. I think FriendFeed sort of pioneered that. The core of Web 2.0 was sort of delicious, flicker, upcoming. So here we've got Joshua again, now helping basically invent Web 2.0. Seriously, talking to this guy makes me feel like I've done nothing useful in my life. But anyway, it becomes clear pretty quickly that Delicious is a big hit. People really want to be able to share their favorite bookmarks with the world. When I asked Joshua why it was so popular, he got interestingly philosophical. It was a product that humans desperately wanted to be able to use, right? The users loved it. They needed it. And I think that I managed to harness one of those key drivers, not just a thing that people think they want, but they desperately know that they need. They want to remember better. They want to be more productive. There's a lot of things that people want to be better at that you can amplify. I mean, that's something I spent a lot of time thinking about, which is how do you augment people? The idea for Delicious was something like a memory is something that I save and then recall later. They both have to be me. Turns out to not be true, right? And someone else might save off a thing that is the memory that I wanted to recall. Not only is Joshua right, the desire to take better notes and have better memory isn't even a recent phenomenon. For example, there's a play you've probably heard of called Hamlet by a playwright you've also probably heard of called William Shakespeare. Ringing a bell? Now, bear with me for a minute for this example to make sense. I promise you don't have to remember everything from your 10th grade English class. All you have to remember is the basic plot. Hamlet's father, the king, was killed by Hamlet's uncle who usurps the throne and marries Hamlet's mother. You know, the usual. Near the beginning of the play, the ghost of the murdered king visits his son, explains what happens, and commands Hamlet to avenge his death. As the ghost of the king vanishes, his final words to his son are, Remember me. To which Hamlet replies, Remember thee? I thou, poor ghost, while memory holds a seat in this distracted globe. Remember thee? From the table of my memory I'll wipe away all trivial fond records, all sores of books, all forms, all precious past, that youth and observation copied there. And thy commandment all alone shall live within the book and volume of my brain, unmixed with baser matter. So here we've got Hamlet assuring the vanished ghost of his dead father that he's going to do everything in his power to remember him in his final request. One of the things he says he's going to do is wipe away the table of his otherwise cluttered memory. To a 21st century audience, 
That would seem to mean something like wiping off a messy kitchen table or desk to keep it clear of kind of all the other distractions. But to Shakespeare's Elizabethan audience, a table was actually a state-of-the-art memory device. It was a pocket-sized almanac with blank pages that were specially coded so they could be written on with a metal stylus and then erased with a sponge later. They were hugely popular in Shakespeare's lifetime as a way of, you guessed it, helping remember important things. Like, say, remembering to kill your uncle who murdered your father and married your mother. Which is good because because it can be easy to forget those kinds of things. Anyway, hopefully you get the point. Even back in Shakespeare's day, people were turning toward technology to help them remember important things, which is exactly why, according to Joshua, people loved Delicious. Lots of consumer products, especially for free sign-up consumer products, are driven by our emotional state rather than intellectual needs. Right? People worry about losing their bookmarks. They, they want to save things for later. They want to be able to recall stuff. They want to be able to get their notes back later. Right? So we've seen billions of dollars worth of companies start and exist in this space. Evernote. You know, I always say moleskin, but apparently that's not how you pronounce moleskin. Moleskin. People want better tooling. But it wasn't just about improving people's own memories, was it? Because these bookmarks were public. It was social bookmarking. So are you trying to say Delicious was valuable because it allowed people to share memories? Well, what was interesting was there was a fundamental tension between saving and sharing that I never really resolved. And I think never really has been resolved, right? So when people put tags on stuff, the way I intended it was when you tag something, it's like you're saving off the search terms you might use to find this again. Even when I email people now, I put stuff in the subject line so that they can find this email later, so I can find this email later, right? So Delicious was, first and foremost, a way for you to talk to your future self. And you typically don't spam your future self. So even though the content was shareable and that was like the unique thing about Delicious, you think the biggest value was still helping users store stuff for, what, themselves? I mean... I guess what I'm wondering here is, you know, what made this a valuable business to build as opposed to just kind of an interesting tool to use? After Yahoo acquired it and we had real researchers, we realized that it was basically this great source of human attention data. Stuff that people bookmarked was like 100x more likely to be a high quality page in search. You know, it was beyond just what do people do, but what do people worry about having access to again later? Okay, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the Yahoo acquisition because that's a, that's a huge part of the story, right? I mean, Delicious was bought by Yahoo relatively quickly, if I'm remembering correctly. At the beginning of 2005, I think I had already had two acquisition offers at that point. We raised the million dollars from Union Square Ventures. I started hiring. I think we had another five, six, seven, eight acquisition offers or connections or someone was interested in buying the data or the company and so on. And the numbers were going up quickly. We made it to about eight people. And at the end of 2005, someone came back with a much more serious offer, ended up in proper conversations with Yahoo. I spent the entire time just trying to get behind scaling. But I think the company was only a company for like eight months. And why did you sell so quickly as opposed to keep building it on your own? Was it money or resources or something else? It was definitely a resource constraint. We had started fundraising again. Even then, I mean, it's, it's hilarious. The numbers were so different 
our first raise was $1 million on a $3 million valuation. We were looking for, I think, three on seven for our Series B, and we did not have a great time of fundraising, even though the growth was crazy. I mean, I remember we pitched Kleiner Perkins, and they're like, isn't this just search? And meanwhile, you know, in 2020, we know just search is a fantastic thing to have been. But the shine was a bit off the rose on search for whatever reason at the time. So we did not have awesome offers. If I recall, it was something like Microsoft had a very direct conversation and then Yahoo got wind of that. People who knew what search was worth were very interested. And at the same time, the fundraising went not awesome. It had only been a couple of months. So if we'd started doing advertising or turning on revenue and it didn't go awesome, that would have lowered the value of the enterprise, right? So it was sort of tactical. Do we start advertising now or not? And we decided not. We had acquisition interest. So that's the direction I decided to go in. And what was it like trying to continue building inside of Yahoo? I stayed at Yahoo for two more years. Yahoo made a lot of big promises over technology and resources and so on and so forth. And I was sort of tired of getting up at two in the morning and rebooting the servers. And our ops guy was at band practice and couldn't bring the site back up and that kind of stuff. So I was sort of worn out at that point. I continued running product for a while. Yahoo obviously did not have a great track record on not interfering with this kind of stuff. So it was tough. So doing a bit of math here, if Yahoo acquired Delicious in 2005 and Joshua stayed around for a couple of years to run it, that brings us to late 2007 or early 2008 when he left. According to an archived post I found from the Delicious blog, by 2008, they claimed to have a bit over 5 million users. 5 million users in 2008 wasn't nothing. Heck, 5 million users in 2020 isn't nothing. But by 2011, Yahoo had sold Delicious to another company. So I guess whatever happened between 2008 and 2011, it's safe to say Delicious didn't fit into Yahoo's overall strategy. Which, you know, looking at Yahoo's trajectory might be more an indictment of Yahoo than Delicious. After that, the company bounced around for a while as different people tried to rekindle its once loyal following. All the while, Joshua's actually been keeping a little bit of an eye on it. Yahoo tried to sell it back to me and they wanted a huge amount of money with no understanding of how venture capital actually works. This is something I've found repeatedly is that big corps don't actually understand how VC works at all. You know, oh, you'll buy it for this much. And I'm like, okay, well, I would have to raise twice as much as that because the company would need money to operate with. So they ended up selling it. And weirdly, they sold it at a much lower price to the YouTube guys. Chad Hurley and Steve Chen formed a company called Avos and bought Delicious from Yahoo. And they ran with it for a bit and they tried to make it into something like Pinterest, I guess. They sold it to a sort of venture firm in L.A., called Science, and they tried to make a run with it. And then they sold it to some guy in Vancouver. They stripped the domain name from it. They kept delicious.com and sold the rest of it for some reason. And then the guy in Vancouver couldn't run it, so they sold it to Maciej Sigwowski, who runs Pinboard. I've been friends with Maciej since before Delicious. He's got it now, and Pinboard is basically delicious as it once was. So, for all you former Delicious fans out there still hoping to scratch that social bookmarking itch, I guess check out Pinboard. For everyone else, Joshua seems to think that even though the age of social bookmarking is past, the fundamental principles are alive and well. 
I think that people's memory is still important and that there's still an opportunity to build shared memory amongst people. Products of that era, of that idea, like Wikipedia, still are going very strong, right? Others are forums. YouTube is a wonderful repository to learn how to do something. So I think the idea is still with us. I figured something out or I memorized something and someone else can recall it. We see that lots of places. So I think this was an early version of this collective augmented intelligence. And I think we'll see more of that. Delicious was just the first pass at the idea. There will be others. We're seeing sort of the next generation now and we'll see more. Out of curiosity, do you ever find yourself looking back and thinking maybe Delicious could have been more? Is there something you, I guess, could have done that maybe kept it going? Delicious never had comments. If I had added comments, Delicious would have been 10, 20 times more active, just in terms of people fighting and discussing stuff and so on and so forth. So I wonder if that was not the critical mistake, that it would have been a much bigger thing if I had been okay with people fighting it out. Right? And we see this now clearly on Facebook, where the entire value of that platform is that people hate each other mostly. People hate each other at scale. The problem is that I wouldn't have been proud of having built that product. I remember when Dig, remember Dig? You could upvote or downvote things. And when they expanded from tech to politics, they found that people who disagreed with the politics stuff would try and delete and downvote stuff that they disagreed with rather than they didn't think it was interesting. And they could never resolve that fight. And even then it was sort of obvious to me that that essential conflict was actually a driver of traffic that could be harnessed. They just sort of flubbed it and I sort of decided to avoid it. My core thought was that it was a memory product and if someone could show up and take a inside your brain, that's a problem, right? That makes people hate your product a bit. I had always made the decision to make the product that was harmonious, not the one that was the biggest, fastest, trafficiest thing. And that was probably my mistake. But I think I could have profited it, but lost the soul of the product. There's definitely something strange about hearing the founder of a wildly popular social media app say he'd rather sacrifice growth in order to preserve the soul of his product. And, quite frankly, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say I kind of wish it's something I heard more often. But let's save that discussion for a future episode. For now, I want to thank my guest Joshua Schachter for taking the time to share the story of Delicious. If you'd like to see what he's up to these days, you can find him on Twitter. He's at Josh U. I also want to thank our sound engineer, Ryan Higgs. And of course, I want to thank our sponsor, Latonas. If you're interested in buying or selling an internet business, be sure to check out latonas.com. And if you're interested in reading more about entrepreneurship, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Aaron Dinan. That's A-A-R-O-N-D-I-N-I-N. Or you can search my name on medium.com to find all my articles about startup, sales, marketing, business, fundraising, any of those kind of things. The podcast is on Twitter too, so find us there to send any feedback you've got on this episode. We're at Webmasters Pod. And if you enjoyed the episode, be sure you're subscribed. Maybe even leave us a great review on your podcasting app of choice. And we'd really love it if you told your friends. Or, honestly, you could tell your enemies too. We're, we're not that picky. We think everyone deserves to hear these stories. And that's why we'll be back again soon with another episode featuring another amazing web entrepreneur. Until then, well, I guess it's time for me to sign off. 
Goodbye.